crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm your host, Brent Naktagal. We are coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel, this Sunday afternoon. It's great to be with you. On today's show, we're going to look at a recent article in Haaretz that comes to terms with the discoveries that have taken place at Tel Dan, specifically related to the religious worship at that site. It's entitled, Israelites in Biblical Dan Worshipped Idols and Yahweh Too, Archaeologists Discover. It is an article written by Philip Bostrom. I believe he is an archaeologist in his own right and also a journalist for them. He actually wrote a really good article a couple of weeks ago looking at Goliath and how the Bible describes him, as well as the archaeology of that period. And he shows that the Bible describes accurately what we'd expect of a Philistine soldier from that time. And I'll leave a link to that so you can read up on that if you like as well. But today we're going to focus on this article about these discoveries at Tel Dan, some of them new, some of them old, um, related to the religious worship in ancient Israel. And to set this up, I just want to read a couple of paragraphs from the article. This is the beginning, the introduction to his article. He says this, quote, The ten tribes living in the kingdom of Israel during the 8th century BCE practiced a mixed religion, but contrary to the conventional wisdom among biblical scholars, their main deity was Yahweh after all not the Canaanite god El and his envoys, golden calves and goat-shaped demons. And then it talks about these new uh, excavations. They're headed um, by the Nelson Glick School of Biblical Archaeology at Hebrew Union College in Jerusalem. Um, And then says, But the gigantic sanctuary originally found over four decades ago, which if you've visited Tel Dan, you've obviously seen this, uh, he says it has the hallmarks of Yahwehistic practice, not pagan ritual. Mainly based on the biblical narrative, scholars had thought that Yahweh became the main god in Israel only after that kingdom's obliteration by the Assyrians in 720 BCE. So basically, you've got this introduction here. It's talking about these recent excavations. And he's saying that, well, biblical scholars, uh, based on what they read from the Bible, they thought that Yahweh, or the YHVH, um, the god if, if you've got a, a, depending on your type of Bible, uh, it'll say Yahweh or it might say Lord in all caps or, or something like that. Um, but they believe, these biblical scholars, that, that that was only the main God in Israel after Samaria's destruction. And so based on their understanding of the biblical narrative, they say that Yahweh wasn't the main god of the northern tribes of Israel. And then they come along and they'd excavate here at Tel Dan, which is one of the places of religious worship in ancient Israel. And what do they find? They find evidence of Yahweh. And this article is going to go through a couple of those evidences. And I think this is really um, very interesting. It says this, quote, um, but new analysis of epigraphic, archaeological, and textual evidence in Tel Dan, a key center of worship in the Northern Kingdom, strongly indicates that the people were worshiping Yahweh in an organized manner as early as the 9th century BCE. So they're going to, they say that they were, archaeology says, were worshiping Yahweh long before biblical scholars say they did. 
And so we're going to have a look today at what the Bible says about the worship of Yahweh there in the northern kingdom of Israel. And we will compare it to what they have discovered and compare it to the article itself and what a supposed biblical scholars say about what we should expect to find there. So these are a few interesting findings that they've made. I'll just talk about, I'll just read from the article. It says, Suggestive finds include seal impressions, or bulle, with Yahweistic names, temple architecture, and artifacts typical of Yahweistic temple rituals. They, are all, they also found massive evidence of animal sacrifice at the Tel Dan Temple, of species associated with Yahwistic worship at the first temple in Jerusalem. And then it quotes one of the archaeologists there. It says, quote, The significance of what we have at Tel Dan's temple is probably greater than most people realize. And so this, this is interesting what they've found. They, if you visited there, as I said, towards the, the back of the, the excavation site of Tel, you do have the, the massive altar and then Bamal, the high place just behind that. And you have uh, a small courtyard of this, this temple sanctuary and then some outer rooms as well. And so they're talking about the discoveries mainly that took place around that temple structure. And this is an old temple. I think they actually date some of it to the 8th century, some of it even earlier to the 9th century as well. Of course, we know of, of King Jeroboam that built a, um, a place of religious worship here as well. But I'm going to get back to the article now. It talks about, as not just this temple-esque structure that they found, they said this, Another discovery that shrieks of Yahwistic worship in Dan, as described in the Bible, was the discovery of a, quote, altar kit in one of the rooms. And so they quote the scriptures here of Exodus 27, verses 1 to 3, which said this. So this is describing the tabernacle and um, related to the the sacrifices that should take place uh, just outside Um, the tent itself, but inside the courtyard of the tabernacle. It says this from Exodus 27. Build build an an altar of acacia wood. Make Make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes, its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. And so it, it, it talks about these items that should be used in the tabernacle. And then inside one of these rooms close to this temple, what did they find? This is quoting the article now. It says, What is remarkable is that these five elements, a bowl, a pair of shovels, incense pan, ash pot, and fork, are listed often as a group in descriptions of the sacrificial paraphernalia in the Bible. We don't, and then it talks about the fact that they found exactly this, as well as this sunken pot that was actually filled with burned animal remains. They found all of these things, all five of these things that are mentioned in Exodus here, two thousand eight hundred presumably years ago, right by this temple in north, in the north of Israel, not by the temple in Jerusalem, but actually in the north. And then it talks about how rare it is, and indeed, um, these haven't been found in Jerusalem. Um, yet um, all these items, but they were found there in Dan. The archaeologist says, quote, archaeological finds in the northern biblical city of Dan look like they came straight out of the Bible's ritual checklist. And so they're looking at that and they're saying, well, the Bible says that this should happen at the holy places of Israel, where they of Judah, basically, where they worshiped Yahweh by the temple or in the tabernacle. And here we find them 
in Dan. And Dan, a place that was set up religiously by um, idol, idol worshippers. What's going on? Why do we have them with the, the right utensils? Why do we have them with a the temple if they're not meant to be doing this, according to biblical, biblical scholars? But that's not all they found. They also found seal impressions or bullets with um, bullet with names on them that finished with Yod and Vav, which is basically the northern way of, of shortening Yahoo, which is you know what you have on all the different um, many of the different names for people from the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Hezekiah, the Aya part, is the Yahoo, and what we have in the northern kingdom is we still have that type of ending on some of these names, on some of these seal impressions. Now, instead of the the um, um, yud Hey vav they've just got Yud-Vav, which would have spelt Yah. And they have a couple of examples of these from the 9th and 8th century. Imidawa, Zachariah uh, as well. And norm, we have examples of these names in the Southern Kingdom with the Yahoo, and now it's just Yah. And so it's, they're saying by connecting all these seal impressions that you have a worship still of Yahweh in the northern kingdom. So they have the right names of people living there that were, should have been worshiping Yahweh, or at least according to the finds. They have the right sacrificial implements. They also study the bones that are there deposited right by this temple, and it looks like it's a match as well. Amazing. The bones themselves match the bones that the Bible talks about should be used for the temple sacrifices or the, uh, the, the, um, the sacrifices uh, in the tabernacle. And yet they're not there. They're in the northern part of the country. They're in the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. They're at Tel Dan. What is going on here? Now, it's interesting to look at this and look at this story, look at the way it's framed. I think these are just wonderful uh, discoveries for sure. It seems like the archaeologists have done a wonderful job. But this article is framed in a way that what they've found somehow refutes actually what the Bible says. But as we will see, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Just what does the Bible say about the northern kingdom of Israel worshipping Yahweh or not? Because according to this article, Bible scholars say, uh, according to the Bible, it, it, they shouldn't have been doing this. Not much at all. Now, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to go to the source. We're going to go to the Bible and look at what it says of the religious practice of the Israelites during this time period of the Northern Kingdom. We'll be right back. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. We're talking about this recent article in Haaretz about excavations in the northern city of Dan. A really beautiful place. If you haven't been there yet, uh, you should You should definitely go there. Um and the religious worship that was associated with that site. Now, as a bit of a backstory, this 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 town or this tell, this mound, it looked like it was originally going to be in Manasseh's territory, but eventually it would be the Danites that would take it during the period of the judges. They were given a small allotment, the Danites were, on the coast, 
and um, they didn't really like that area. They claimed it was a bit small and also too dangerous for them. And so a couple of the clans of Dan headed northwards, and they took over this city, which was originally called Leshem or Laish. Both those those titles are used in describing Dan. Um, but then they called it Dan after they took it over and named it after their father. Now, there is something important about what they did there that laid the groundwork for religious worship at Dan. Again, that's what the article is about. So Judges 18 goes through this history. I think it's fascinating. And and really, what is the point of this, this history of uh, or telling this history in Judges chapter 18? It's sure, it tells you that Danites went to the north and they lived in this area. But it also has a huge section of this chapter talking about the religion, how they got their religion. Now, this was a religion that that obviously wasn't condoned at all. Um, by by God, they they already had their place of worship uh, at this time at Shiloh, where the tabernacle was sent up, and yet they wanted to have a count a, a different place of worship, and so you had this group migrating group northwards to take over this city. About six hundred soldiers were included in this raiding party, and on the way up to to what would become Dan once they took it over, they traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, and they went past the house of a man named Micah. And Micah had a Levitical priest there who was an extremely prominent priest. He had a lineage that we'll talk about that was was remarkable. And they said to him basically, hey, why don't you come with us and not stay here and be the private Levite of this man Micah and his family? You can be a you can be our priest. You can be our high priest. You can rule over not just one household, but a whole tribe. And so this Levite agrees. This Levite agrees, and you can see from chapter, from verse 30 and 31, that this Levite here was actually a grandson of Moses. You can see that his father was Gershom, and his um, Gershom's father was um, Manasseh, as it says there. Well, that Manasseh is actually a bit of a typo that's um, put in there on purpose to not uh, declare the fact that this was Moses's or Moshe's grandson. And if you read that passage, you see that he's setting up this rival religion, really, um, as a high priest there for the tribe of Dan. And by the time we come to the split in the kingdom under Jeroboam a few hundred years later, there is already an Israelite tradition to set Dan up as a place of worship. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Jeroboam chose this location. I just want to continue from this article now. It says this, quote, at the time, some 2,700 years ago, the land was split between the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south, which were rivals, occasionally bitter ones. Israel's capital was Samaria, it says. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't Samaria yet. It would be 100 years after this. But its religious centers were Bethel and Dan, while Judah's capital and religious center was Jerusalem. According to the biblical story, in the north, rivalry between the two kingdoms led to a sharp deviation from the path towards monotheism. And so this article says that Jeroboam, that first king of, of this divided northern kingdom of Israel from Judah, they practice idolatry. And, and indeed they did. Indeed they did. But there's more to it than that. 
he continues, the priests and the Levites sided with Rehoboam. I remember, remember at the time here that Israel took the promised land and they received their, their allotments. The tribe of Levi didn't get a, a specific territory itself. It was split up between all the tribes, spread out all through Israel and Judah. 48 cities they got, six of those being cities of refuge. And the three different clans... Um, of Levi got separated in between all the different tribes. But at this time, once Jeroboam broke off, or, or let's just say the kingdoms divided, and you had the 10 northern tribes that went with with Jeroboam to the north, you had the Levites that fled southwards. They fled southwards because, as the Bible says, Jeroboam fired them from their job. Levites, of course, were meant to be the intermediaries between God and the people. They were meant to teach the people the law. They were meant to fulfill the service inside the tabernacle and then the temple. And they were probably more of the highly educated people as well. Well, they got booted by Jeroboam and his sons, as it talks about um, in Second Chronicles chapter 11, verse 14 to 15. Then it says this, quote, On why Jeroboam would push idolatry, the Bible says this, quote, if this people continues to go up, this is quoting second, uh, for, uh, uh, First Kings 12 now, it says this, If the people continue to go up to offer sacrifices at the house of Yahweh in Jerusalem, the heart of this people will also return to their lord, King Rehoboam of Judah. The king made two golden calves and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so he sets up these two um, golden calves. He puts one at Bethel and he puts one at Dan, where the place that we've been talking about. And he doesn't want them to go to Jerusalem and worship Yahweh there because then they will want to belong back to the kingdom of Judah. So he says, there's no point doing that. Bethel is right on the road down to Judah uh, from the northern part of the northern kingdom. And so you can just go to Bethel, he said, or you can go to Dan if you're up there in the north. Then the article says this, quote, Mainly based on all of this, some modern scholars have been assuming that a key distinction between Israel and Judah lay in fundamental beliefs that the priests and the people of the north, Israel, worshipped El and pagan idols while the Judahite kingdom was faithful to Yahweh. It's starting to look like the biblical account was heavily biased, he says. So he writes in there that um, because some of these accounts are from the book of Chronicles, which was written, obviously, uh, from the southern kingdom. Well, they, a lot of people believe that was written far after from the 4th to 2nd century BCE. Uh, there's plenty of indication that the, the book of Chronicles was written by Ezra, and certainly there were edits that were made after his time even but mainly by Ezra. And the book of Chronicles' whole purpose isn't to discuss the history of, of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's all about studying the history of the throne of David, which is why it talks more about the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Any, anyhow, he's saying that the biblical account is biased. The, 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 the author of Chronicles was trying to badmouth the northern kingdom. And that's why there isn't so much about how they worshipped Yahweh. We're good in Judah. We worshipped Yahweh says this, first of all, Chronicles apparently dates to the 4th to 2nd century BCE, so it was written 100 years after the events described. Also, it would have been written by scribes in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. The ethics of writing history accurately did not exist then, and they may have had an interest in trashing their long-dead brethren of Israel. Really? <laughs> That's what they say. 
Anyhow, the article, one final quote here, it says, Now the new analysis of the evidence excavated under the late Avram Baran at Tal Dan indicates that, in fact, both kingdoms worshipped Yahweh as well as pagan idols. Well, actually, that's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says that all along, that the southern kingdom worshipped Yahweh and that the northern kingdom worshipped Yahweh, that both of them had idols at different times. The northern kingdom of course, without a righteous king, um, was more wicked in general, and they'll interise steeped in idolatry more. They had large sections of their history where they worshipped other gods like Baal and such more than they did. And yet the Bible is pretty firm on the fact that they worshipped Yahweh as well. And so are we to rejoice that the northern kingdom worshipped Yahweh like the southern kingdom did? Or is there more to it? Was God more interested in, in how they worshipped Yahweh, not just the fact that they worshipped this being or this God with this name? We're going to talk about that a little bit. First, we're going to talk about the proof of what the Bible actually says about the northern kingdom of Israel and show that the Bible and archaeology, contrary to some modern scholars, some biblical scholars, they actually fit perfectly together. So let's look at the account here of Jeroboam first of all, because this is what he kind of bases it on. It looks like they just worshipped cows. Why aren't they worshipping Yahweh? Instead, they're worshipping these cows. What's going on? Well, let's just look at this from 1 Kings chapter 12. And we'll read uh, verse 25 to verse, um, uh, verse 28. It says this, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and dwelt there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. So he had a, this is more of his political capital at the time, one in Shechem, one in Penuel on the other side uh, of the Jordan River, two capitals. Verse 26, And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now will the kingdom return to the house of David, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Eternal, or Yahweh, at Jerusalem. Then this heart will be turned back unto their lord, even Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they'll kill me, and they'll return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. And he said to them, You have gone up long enough to Jerusalem, Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one at Bethel and the other at Dan. But notice what he's saying here. He's not, is he saying Yahweh is not your God? It's these cows. Or is he saying that these cows um, are their gods? What he's saying here is that these cows represent your God, Yahweh. These cows are now a representation, an idol of Yahweh. That's what he's saying. He's not changed. He would he probably wouldn't be so bold as to try and steal the kingdom away and then change their gods immediately. No, he said that this is this is, you know, this is just the way we worship now. This is the way we worship now. This was a counterfeit. This wasn't a totally different religious system. Indeed, it it changed the laws com- completely as you as we can see from that passage. But it wasn't a change of the name of their God. Now, to get to the context of this event, we actually have to go back to the time of Moses and see what Jeroboam was copying. He's not promoting a different God here. He's promoting a different way of worshipping their God. I'm not saying that was right and it's wrong, definitely. But he's not trying to promote a different name here of a God. Now, you'll remember this history in Exodus chapter 31. This is when Moses is delayed up Mount Sinai. 
and you have all the people down there with Aaron, and they're, they're saying, can, uh, we're waiting for Moses. He's, he hasn't come back down. We don't know what's wrong with him. Uh, make us some gods who shall go before us. We need, we need something to worship. And so he said, break off your earrings and such and give them to me. And the people did that, and they brought them to Aaron, and he received them, and all the gold, and he fashioned with a graving tool a molten calf. And what did he say when he made this calf? He said, this is your God, O Israel which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The same thing that Jeroboam said 500 years later, well, uh, 550 years later. He said he produced a golden calf and said, this is your God, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, was he saying that 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 cow is their actual God or did that cow represent God? Well, notice, read the context here. Remember, this is the same thing that Jeroboam's doing. So we can we get into Jer- we can apply Jeroboam what Jeroboam was doing with this context, verse five. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh." I th- wait a minute. I thought the cow was our god now. Why are we having a feast to this other god, Yahweh? Well, it, the cow wasn't. Yahweh, the cow was a representation, a way of, of helping them in their view to worship Yahweh. Again, it was a breaking the commandments for sure. But he's not trying to change the God here as far as the name of it. And they rose up early on the morrow and they offered burnt offerings to the golden calves that was representing Yahweh and brought pre- peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and rose up to make merry. And so they, they made a feast to Yahweh back then. But they wanted to do it their own way. They wanted to use the cows. They wanted to use the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, to sacrifice to Yahweh. And that's what Aaron was showing them. And Jeroboam did exactly the same thing. Jeroboam was far smarter than trying to get them to follow a different god, at least in name. Indeed, it was a different god. I'm not saying it wasn't. It might have had the same name, but it definitely God did not condone this type of worship at all. But he was sly about the way that he changed the religion. And so this passage can't be used to say the Israelites didn't worship Yahweh. They were worshiping Yahweh in their own way. Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says so we can talk about whether the archaeology matches up or not. That's not all. This isn't the only evidence of it. It is true that the northern tribes never worshipped God in the right way. They did worship other gods as well. And you can see this specifically through the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel, of course, was a Phoenician. She brought with her the worship of Baal, which the Phoenicians worshipped as well. Yahweh was obviously still being worshipped there at the same time. Um, but there was a time when, when Baal was the prominent um, god, uh, in quotes, that they worshipped. But jump forward to King Jehu. He's the one that, uh, he's in the late ninth century, so he's after Ahab, a couple of, well, one a king after Ahab. And this is what Second Kings 10 talks about Jehu. Verses 28 says this, Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. Howbeit, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, wherewith he made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not after them, the golden calves that were, that were in Bethel and that were at Dan. And so he destroyed Baal, but they still had these calves. They were still worshipping in the same way that Jeroboam did. Now, the question is whether it was they were worshipping the calves. Again, 
or whether they were still worshiping Yahweh, worshiping Yahweh through this. Like continues, and Yahweh said unto Jehu, because you have done well in executing that which was right in my eyes, getting rid of Baal, and have done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk into the law, uh, law of, the, of Yahweh, the God of Israel, with all his heart, and he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. And so you have this account. Again, we are now, uh, I guess, 150 years or so from Jeroboam. You've still got um, uh, a king in Israel who's worshiping Yahweh, talking to Yahweh. This is, this is from the book of Kings. This isn't from the book of Chronicles. And um, he restores the way it was to when Jeroboam was there. He got rid of all of Baal. Okay, so then we go to Jer- G- Jehu's son, 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 4. It says this, And Jehoaz besought Yahweh, and Yahweh hearkened unto him. And so Jehu's son prayed to Yahweh. Now, I don't know who the biblical scholars are that say Yahweh was not worshipped in the northern tribes. Look at look at those scriptures. It's It's pretty obvious, and it's not... In the biased account of Chronicles, these scriptures are from Kings. It's just, it's just completely frustrating to me that people make a claim about the Bible, they put it out there, and then somebody finds something that disputes that original claim. Then instead of going back and actually checking what the Bible says, they impugn the Bible's accuracy when they should go after those so-called scholars. Now, it's interesting, the Bible actually says that the northern tribes were making offerings to God, to Yahweh, during this time. The prophet Amos, he came on the scene. Uh, he was on the, there during Jeroboam, um, Jeroboam II's reign, and that's in sometime in the middle of the 8th century. And he wrote to the northern and southern kingdom as well, but mainly the northern tribes. And he said this in Amos chapter 5 and verse 21, verse 22, I hate you and I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Yea, though you offer me burnt offerings and your meal offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. This is talking to the northern tribes. Yes, you're sacrificing. You're even sacrificing to God, but God doesn't take them. Now, this is just amazing. I don't know why. They didn't talk about these scriptures in relation to what was taking place at Dan. This is obviously talking to the northern kingdom. It's obviously saying that they are sacrificing. They've got burn offerings and meal offerings, and um, God isn't, isn't taking those. But that's what they've found at Dan. Why, why aren't they discussing these scriptures to show that, wow, we have the Bible saying that the northern kingdom had these sacrificial systems, in place, and then look at this. We excavate, excavate Dan, and there it is. Now, these this isn't in um, the article, and it's describing the work going on at Dan at Bethel, most likely. And again, this isn't from the quote biased account of Chronicles. Now, notice one other bit of evidence that shows that the Israelites worshipped, at least in their own way, um, the god Yahweh. 2 Kings chapter 17 discusses the, the northern tribes of Israel being completely removed from the land of Israel 
uh, replaced by a bunch of different people that would become known as the Samaritans eventually. Um, I'm going to just quote here. This is from verse 24 onwards. And this was just policy. This was policy of the Assyrian Empire, taking people out and re- replace them with another people, destroy their attachment, the people's attachment to the land. Therefore, nationalism would hopefully be diminished and the people that you take and rule over will be easier to rule. This wasn't the policy of the Babylonians, um, but this was the pab- policy of the Assyrians. It says this from verse 24 onwards. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, from Qatan, from Ava and Hamath and Seraphim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, because they had just been removed. And they possessed Samaria, this whole region of Samaria, not just the city of Samaria, and dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not Yahweh. So they get there, these people, Babylonians, they're not fearing Yahweh. Therefore, Yahweh sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Wherefore they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, So they've got this problem, they're dwelling in this new land, and the wild beasts that have built up over time there, and lions existed in this, it's not outrageous, lions definitely did um, exist here at the time. They had, their numbers had swelled, and they're being killed. And so they're like, what do we do? I'm going to tell the king of Assyria that put us there. And they said this, The nations which you carried away, us, and placed in the cities of Samaria, we don't know the manner of the God of the land. Of course, that was the way that they thought of gods back then. Each each territory has a different God. And so the land was rebuking them, and so they needed to know the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they slay them, because they know not the God manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded them. He wrote back to them, saying, Carry you there one of the priests whom you brought from there and let them go and dwell there and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. So he's like, fine, take one of the, the, take one of the priests that were there before, bring him to the new population back where he used to live and teach, let them teach, teach them of the God of the land. Which God did this Israelite priest teach these new inhabitants? Verse 28. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear Yahweh. Notice he didn't teach them about a god El or Baal or anything else. This Israelite from the northern tribes taught them about the god they worshipped, Yahweh. Of course, he didn't teach them a righteous way of, of or the correct way of worshipping Yahweh at all. They were already corrupted. Uh, the northern tribes were in their religion. And so they t- they were taught a corrupted version of worshipping Yahweh. And again, these are the Samaritans. These are the Samaritans. The people that would have a counterfeit, they would, have, they would worship Yahweh, they would worship God, but in the wrong way. Verse 32, So they feared Yahweh and made unto them from among themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places, they feared Yahweh and served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. So notice this. Notice this. And we're just trying to prove that the Bible does say that the northern tribes did worship Yahweh. You've got these people going back. They get a priest from the northern tribes to come and teach them about this land. 
And what God does he teach them about? He teach them, teaches them about Yahweh. And so when you read an article like this in Haaretz, and it talks about how, well, the Bible's kind of biased in some of its accounts, and most biblical scholars, they don't, they don't believe that this was the case, and so this is kind of going against what the Bible says. Well, when somebody says that, I mean, you're fine taking that personally. You should also take it as a personal mandate to go back and check. Go back and check what the Bible actually says. And I, I wish that some of these people would have a little bit more fear to just spout off what they think the Bible says. Instead of just going back to the source, the Bible is, I mean, it's either in there or it's not. I mean, this is provable. I, I took you to two or three accounts that showed that in the northern tribes there was a knowledge and a worship of Yahweh. That is what they found at Dan, and that is what the Bible actually says should be there, or could be there. Now, I understand like, if you're just, you know, recalling the old, the, if you're recalling um, the northern tribes of Israel and how they lived and Elisha and Elijah going to them, you just we just know they weren't righteous. But that doesn't mean that they didn't worship Yahweh. They just worshipped him in the total wrong way. Now, God says, doesn't just say, worship me. God tells us the way that we should worship him or else it is just idolatry. And he even goes further than that, of course. He doesn't just say, worship me in this way. He says, you've got to have the right motivation behind doing that as well. Now, there are just so many ideas out there about how God should be worshipped. And many, many people would even say, if, they're, if they've taken on some type of, of pagan practice, they would say, well, at least I'm still worshipping God, right? Isn't that the main thing? Well, no. No, no, it's not at all. God says he hates that. and God says that's idolatry. God has shown us how to worship him. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says this, And the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near, and with their mouth and with their lips do they honor me. And you can be sure that they were doing that in, in, in Bethel, that they were doing that in Dan. They were, and they were doing this in Jerusalem as well. And this, this uh, verse here is specifically talking about wrong religious practice in Jerusalem. Because their heart wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't right. I'll read this again. For as much as this people draw near to me, and with their mouth and with their lips they honor me, they talk about me, they talk about how much they love me, but have removed their heart far from me, and the fear, their fear of me, is a commandment of men learned by rote. That's the uh, JPS version. They worship me, yes, but how are they worshiping me? Their heart is nowhere near me. They just say their prayers. They do their so-called good deeds, thinking that's how I want to be worshipped. They worship me how these men have commanded them that they should worship me. But it's, it's nothing but vanity and idolatry. If only we'd just get back to what the Bible actually says. Worship God, fear God the way that he describes. Prove it from the actual text of the Bible. Don't just believe what some so-called Bible scholar says. I mean, you're intelligent enough. Of course, God uses human leaders to guide and instruct, but that should be able to be proven from the Bible. 
It shouldn't just be taken at, at, at any man's word. Jeremiah says in, in chapter 17 and verse 5, Cursed be the man who trusts in man. If you want to be strong, make God your arm. Make him your strength. Study the Bible. What does God actually say? Otherwise, just as Isaiah says here, they could be just commandments of men. We think we're worshiping God in the right way. We were told this is the way that we should do it. But are they commandments of men or are they commandments of God? That's not far from what the northern tribes were doing with their worship of God. But God doesn't leave us without help. There's plenty of help to direct us to what those, um, the, the correct way of worshiping God is. I'm not condoning the northern tribes and their religion uh, through this program or endorsing that at all. I'm just trying to refute the point that the Bible does say that they worshipped Yahweh, but they worshipped him incorrectly. And could you be worshipping God in your mind, but doing it incorrectly as well? That's not obviously what God um, would like to happen. Now, if you'd like to know more about the authority of the Bible, its accuracy, and the importance of its use as an actual instruction manual for our living, then you can request our booklet, The Proof of the Bible, by Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong. It'll show you how to prove that the Bible is not a work of men with biased accounts, but the actual Word of God. And it will show you how you can make sure that your worship is not after the commandment of men. Most importantly, it'll help you to prove it all yourself. You've been listening to Watch Jerusalem. If you'd like to send me some feedback, you can do so by writing your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thank you very much again for listening, and we'll see you next week.